This is The Talking Dead, a podcast dedicated to the AMC TV show, The Walking Dead. Hello there, everyone. My name is Chris. And I'm the meat popsicle known as Jason. And this is The Talking Dead number 358, recorded on Meat Popsicle Day, Monday, January the 15th, 2018. You know where I got that reference? No. That was in uh, Fifth Element. Oh. When uh, the cops came to his door and said, are you classified as human? He said, negative. I am a meat popsicle. I don't remember that, but... uh, You should. It's funny. That does sound pretty funny, although I haven't seen that movie in a long time. I watched it with my mom over Christmas. Oh, good, good. She'd never that, seen it. She wanted to watch something on Netflix. We watched uh, Fifth Element. She loved it. She's a big Bruce Willis fan, I bet. Uh, she's not, but she enjoyed the movie. Well, she is now. Yeah. <laughs> or is she a big Mila Jovovich fan? Uh, she is a fan of entertaining movies that she's never seen before. Ah, okay. Fair enough. Well, I, I didn't love that movie when it first came out, so it took me a long time to ever go back to it. And I, I still think it's a little overrated, to be honest with you, but it's okay. I'm, I liked the fantastical uh, view on technology. It was just, it was, the technology was silly and I right. loved it. Right. Well, and that's kind of what I didn't like about it. They also were marketing it at the time as Star Wars for the new generation. And that bothered me. I was like... Oh, you got to stay away from the hype. Hype has ruined movies for you in the past. It is, but that's a that's a terrible way to market that movie, in my opinion. You don't compare yourself to Star Wars, which a lot of people consider a pinnacle of entertainment. Yeah. No, so, I don't recall the hype on that movie. I think I saw it before hype or... Maybe I didn't have a TV at the time. That's possible as well. Well, I don't know, but that kind of turned me off on the whole thing. And I've grown, learned to appreciate it a little bit since then. But uh, anyways, it it introduced the term meat popsicle, so. It sure did. It's, oh, there's so many, so many things. Love that movie. Yeah. I loved it from the outset. I think it's a great movie. Go see it. It's got Sideshow Luke Perry right at the beginning. All right. Amazing. I do remember Sideshow Luke Perry. Yeah. Right. Well, so that was a segue that happened fast, and I apologize for that. Yeah, like first sentence of the friggin' show tonight, <laughs> and, and you're on a you're on a tangent, and they're off. Well, we have a lot to do today on the podcast. We are going to review a movie that we both watched on Netflix called The Resort, which we will get to. We have a ton of Walking Dead news to talk about, and in fact, there's some big news out of Walking Dead Land from this weekend. Yeah. That I've been nervous about all day because you wouldn't tell me, and I refuse to go on the internet to find out. Jason doesn't know what's going on yet, but I'm excited to talk about it. But speaking of Star Wars, I just wanted to, before we get into all that other stuff, is take a quick look back at last week when we, or two weeks ago when we talked about Star Wars The Last Jedi, because there's a few things that I was looking over my notes at that I sort of forgot or didn't have a chance to bring up at the time. So I wanted to just quickly talk about some of them right now. Sure. First of all, I wanted to say that the Porgs, I thought, were good. However, the Caretakers, I didn't like. The Porgs? Yeah, the Porgs. The little chicken guys on, on Luke's Island. Oh, Those little right. creatures, they're called Porgs. You didn't know that? I, no, I didn't know what they were called. You really do stay off the internet, don't you? Well, I, um, maybe I'm on a different internet. I think you might be. Or maybe there's different... Like, the internet's rather large. I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but it's rather large, and maybe I visit different internet spaces than you do. Well, I don't know. I, I mean, the, the Porgs are all over the place, and they're toys, and there are 
you know, there are probably poured breakfast cereals and things like that. Well, I know like what that. they are. I just was unaware of the name. Ah, okay. Well. I didn't learn Boba Fett's name for a very long time. Sadly, a very long time. Okay, well, that's weird too. But anyways, the Porgs, they are rather controversial. Some people hate them as much as Jar Jar Binks. Other people love them like they love the Ewoks. Then again, I really some, couldn't care less about them. They, some, I, my brain may have completely edited them, edited them out in real time. Even the scene where Chewie is trying to eat one and then the Porg is giving him the the little eyes. It's it's a vague memory. It's not specific. Huh. Anyway, I've seen it on the internet. Do you remember the caretakers that were looking after Luke's Island for him? Yes. Yeah, I do remember those. I, I liked the Porgs. I did not like the caretakers. I thought the Porgs were kind of cute natives to the island. I thought the caretakers were just silly comic relief. They kind of came out of nowhere for me. Like it was, you know, Luke on this island. I figured, you know, Luke's all by himself on this island. That's fantastic. He's, yeah. you know, living by himself, you know, milking tit cows. What do you call those things? They probably have a name. Too, I don't right? know what those are called. Yeah. But he's milking them. <laughs> but yeah, well, you know, cows actually have teats as well. So anyway, uh, you know, I thought he was by himself. And then all of a sudden these caretakers show up somewhere and I'm like, oh, did we really need those? Why yeah. are they here again? They're just kind of crazy monk type things agreed and i thought they were just there for comic relief and i didn't think they were necessary at all i just want to throw that out there um luke's spear fishing scene too i thought was kind of ridiculous and was unnecessary the way he he um i don't even know what you'd call that but he sort of glided across the giant chasm down to the water and then used that stick to spear a fish I feel like that's the kind of thing you would have to use the force to do successfully, but it happened in the movie before he let the force back into his life. Right. He's just a mad-ass skilled son of a bitch. I guess so, but I don't know. I thought that was a bit silly too. Um, but Did then, he use the force to block the force from getting into him? <laughs> that's the force blocking force power of the well, force. That seems a little uh, counterintuitive, yeah? It does a little bit, yeah. He's got to use the force in order to prevent the force from interacting with him. I don't know. But then if the force is, uh, you know, pervades all, that's not the right word, but if it's part of all living things. You can't truly uh, block it entirely. If you block it, don't, don't you become a non-living thing? Is that, is that how that works? So Luke is what, animatronic now? Does he, did he become Darth Vader and Obi-Wan Kenobi all at the same time? Somehow he's undead and then he lets the force back and into his life. And a zombie. Yeah. Anyways, I didn't like spearfishing. I thought it was sort of silly. Um, but more importantly, Ray's journey into the dark side cave, we didn't really talk about. Um, oh. Two things I liked about that. Number one, I really enjoy how Star Wars does these like dark side experiences. Of course, Luke had his on Dagobah, right? Where he goes into the, well, I guess sort of a cave, but it's underneath the big tree. And he, he has this vision of fighting Darth Vader where he cuts off the mask and it's his own face in the mask, right? He's facing his own fears. I really yep. like that. Similar thing happened with Ray. She goes down there and she has to face one of the biggest questions in her life. And that's who her parents are. And we never talked about her parent, uh, her parentage, uh, but it was a big point in this movie and a huge reveal, especially after the big deal they made about it in the force awakens. It was a huge reveal that her parents were nobodies. They were just, yeah junkers or whatever, you know, people who were just regular people that weren't very nice and they abandoned Sold her. Sold her for uh, drinking money. That's right. Um, so I thought that was amazing actually. And I'm really, yeah. really glad the movie went that way because I 
I was a little skeptical of the fact that Ray's parents had to be someone important in this bigger story or in the sort of Skywalker universe. I figured her father must have been Chewbacca. <laughs> she was half Wookiee, you know, and half human. And the human half kind of uh, was a little more prominent than the Wookiee half. Well, she's the best looking half Wookiee I've ever seen. <laughs> So. My son said Chewbacca for the first time today. I'm very excited. I'm going to get him a Chewbacca plush toy. Do it. First, yeah. First chance I get. My Izzy's uh, favorite Star Wars character is Chewbacca. So yeah. foster that. Chewbacca's yeah, great. Well, yeah, absolutely. In fact, I, I suggested at one time you should have named, put his middle name as Chewbacca. I, I, I posed that. Yeah. I, I, it got shut down, but uh, I, did, uh, I did pose it at one point. Jasper Chewbacca Miles just sounds, it just rolls off the tongue, man. Yeah. Well, I'm, well, you know, I'm calling him that in secret. Of course. <laughs> As I would too. <laughs> yeah. And so. I, <laughs> I often said to Jenny, it doesn't matter what we decide to name him. I'm probably going to fill out the birth certificate. <laughs> <laughs> so, so his main, his name may actually be Jasper <laughs> Chewy Miles. That's right. Oh man. When he's older, we, if, I hope his have nickname is. the birth certificate. It's not Chewbacca, but I threatened her with it. She did not appreciate it. I really hope he, he gets the, that nickname someday when he's older. Just keep using it. Keep using it and it'll stick. I'll just call him Chewy because he's eating, right? He's eating solid food now. So he's, I keep asking him to chew, chew, chew. He's yeah. learning. Yeah. Do so it. So Chewy. She might not even notice you're doing that. Okay. Very subtle. <laughs> very subtle. <laughs> Amazing. So anyways, uh, Ray's parents, great. Uh, we didn't talk about that. And I think that was a, a great development in the series and i don't know what they're going to do with that now in the next movie that jj abrams is directing he'll either turn it back into a thing her parents or he'll have to move on and her parents are truly nobodies that are not important in the story other than the fact that they abandoned her and you know that's what made her survive on her own and gave her part of her personal strength but that's a different well, thing i hope altogether. they do a big fat load of nothing just don't bring it up again well yeah exactly i think that's been put to bed and that's it and then the one other scene we didn't talk about that um, I wanted to was the scene near the end where Finn is flying the the um, ship across the salt planet and he's he's aiming straight for the big miniature Death Star weapon. Yep. And they can't destroy it. And Finn resolves himself to fly straight into it and destroy it in a kamikaze type fashion. The giant miniature weapon. That's I right. That. The giant miniaturized Death Star technology. It's beautiful. Yeah, it's great. That's the that's one of the nice things about the English language. You can you can um, create sentences like that, and they make perfect sense. Yeah, giant giant miniature miniature giant. Yeah, it was awesome. Yeah, there anyway, you go. yes, he was trying to kill himself, but then uh, what's her name? Came in and saved him. Rose deflected him away, saved him, and the you know the gun shot the door. Um, now I kind of wish they had let Finn fly into that thing, sacrifice himself and, you know, change the outcome of that battle a little bit. I think that would have been a really good death for Finn. And I don't mind how the scene played out in the end. I must admit that's the scene where we had, uh, Rose say, you got to fight for, for what you love, not against what you hate, I think is yep. what was the line. So that was fine. Mm -hmm. They they had their little kiss scene, which I didn't mind at all. I thought it was great. And I'm, and I like Rose as a character and I like Finn as a character, but I was ready in that moment for Finn to fly into that thing and sacrifice himself. And I think that would have been a pretty powerful moment in the movie, probably more so than her rescuing him at the last second. 
Well, I kind of disagree with you because of the way I agree with you. And that sounds a little convoluted, so let me show my work. <laughs> There's another English language thing that uh, sort of makes <laughs> sense, but not so much. The fact that you were ready for Finn to fly into uh, that giant miniaturized Death Star weapon yes. uh, to sacrifice himself to change the course of the battle means that you, part of you believed that that would happen. Uh, yeah, yeah, I, and I so, did. And so, and me too, I believed that that would happen and I was ready for it as well. And I felt, at first I felt a little uh, disappointed that they deflected that, but... It would have been way worse if uh, it was a situation where I completely saw through a transparent attempt to fake us out uh, for, you know, pretending to almost kill somebody and then save him at the end. It's like, there's no way they're going to kill Finn. The story led me to believe that, holy shit, they might kill Finn. Right. And that's a good thing, right? Very good. And that's why I like it. And that's why I disagree with you that I don't think that it would take, it took away from it at all because I had mentally bought into that. Ah. They, uh, uh, they kept having, they kept paying into that thing. And I just could, I just totally was in with them. I was completely invested in the death of Finn, but they, they pulled it off at the last second. They pulled it out and then they gave us that great line where you have to fight for what you love and not against what you hate. I'm like, wow. That was worth it. It was all worth it for me. Yeah. No, I see what you mean. Like, I'm, I'm almost right there with you. I just still, a little part of me kind of, I don't wish death upon Finn, but a little part of me wishes that's how the story had gone and they'd flown him into that thing because I just think it would have been so super powerful. And um, even the second time I watched the movie, like I was... I was almost thinking to myself, maybe this time, maybe this time he'll fly into it. <laughs> of course, that's oh, not. I don't do that in movies anymore. They did that with Clue. They had like three separate endings. Yeah. Depending, and you got the ending depending on what theater you went to. Oh, that's cool. That's a great idea. It was a great idea. It was yeah. awesome. That's not a thing anymore though, so. No. Anyways. It isn't. So that's, that's just quickly a few additional thoughts on uh, episode eight, Star Wars The Last Jedi, so. Um, yeah, well, there's a couple of things I didn't get a chance to bring up last time. Hmm. All right, Jason, let's move on and do the Walking Dead news. The Walking Dead news. All right, Mr. Miles, here we go. Are you ready? You do not know what the big news of the week is. No, I don't. And let me, I was, yeah, this kind of bothered me all day. I kind of been on uh, feeling a little bit, uh, uneasy. I don't know what's going on. Right. So it was big news. Have you heard the big news? And I'm like, oh shit. Just, <laughs> well, is it, you it's like, is it canceled? It's like, okay, tell me if it's canceled. Don't tell me if it's not. So you didn't tell me. So I have to assume that either you lied to me or it's not canceled. The show's not canceled. Okay. The show's not canceled. That's, that's good. That eases me a little bit, eases my mind a little bit. What's the big news? Well, there's, there's a host, there's a whole series of big news items here. Number one, and this all came out at the same time, but number one, they've officially renewed The Walking Dead for season nine. Okay. So that's good. So it's the opposite of being canceled. It is the opposite of being canceled. Along with that, we got the news that Scott Gimple is no longer the showrunner starting in season nine. They do blame Scott for everything. He's no. just, he's, he's, stepping back to be executive on everything. <clears throat> that's Well, that's, that is essentially what's happening. So Scott Gimple has not been removed from the show, but has been promoted. 
So he is, uh, <laughs> that's euphemism for, yeah, you suck at this job. So maybe you can do better at the next job. Well, I, I don't know about that because his new position is, um, what's his new position? It is, he's going to be overseeing the entire walking dead TV universe. So let's talk about Scott really quick. First of all, then, and then we'll get into who the new showrunner is going to be because that's been announced too. Oh, I have, I have some. Vince Gilligan? Is it Vince Gilligan? <laughs> it's not Vince Gilligan. Damn it. Uh, so according to Entertainment Weekly, uh, they said that Scott Gimple will oversee the Walking Dead TV franchise, including the companion series Fear the Walking Dead and future brand extensions. Oh yeah, more offshoots or what do you call those spinoffs? Spinoffs. Now Hollywood Reporter takes it a step further and they say in his new role, Gimple will oversee the Walking Dead's vast TV universe, including both the flagship and spinoff Fear the Walking Dead, as well as gaming and future brand extensions on a variety of platforms among other areas. So they really cast a wide net there in terms of what he's going to be doing. Yeah, all contrivances on or off Earth. <laughs> Something like that. Yeah, basically. Yeah. So he's been promoted to sort of the overseer of everything Walking Dead related. Well, and at least in the TV universe, and it sounds like in gaming and other stuff as well, um, which is an, an interesting position. It's a new position as far as I know. You would think mm -hmm. that maybe Robert Kirkman would be the guy for that job since he's the creator of it, but maybe not because he's the creator of it and he's a little too close to it and he's not a TV showrunner guy, you know, he's a writer and a comic the book The problem guy. with Kirkman is that Kirkman lies. Well, I know Kirkman lies, so does that mean he can't have a job like this? Well, it just, it means he's untrustworthy. I mean, he, if he lies to the public, he's probably lying to the people close to him. <laughs> I think, I think his motivation for lying, though, is probably just to confuse and keep secrets, and that's sort of what he does. Well, I'm a little worried that he lies because he finds it entertaining, no, it and that worries that. me. Yeah, it could be that too. Yeah. So, okay. So he's been promoted. You've ever seen Brazil? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. The Terry you know Gilliam the scene movie, in right? the hallway where, um, what's his name? The main character. Damn it. You'd think I'd know Brazil a little bit better than this. Um, he, he gets the new job because he wants to track down the lady from his dreams that he saw. Yeah. And he, he goes to the, the corporate headquarters and then there's this whole group of people with the boss man walking around and people are asking him questions he's going, yes, no, yes, no, 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 yes, no. Mm -hmm. That's all he's doing is answering questions. That's what I see Scott Gipple doing. Just sitting in his office, people coming in and asking him questions and he just says, no, yeah, that's a good idea. No, <laughs> yes, no. So he's, he's just, I, he's just the final say on, on everything that sort of comes through the door. Yeah. He's overseeing everything. So yeah. he doesn't, <laughs> I mean, it's the perfect job, right? You're, right. It's a entertainment industry. Uh, it is a popular, uh, you know, zombie genre set of television shows with new shows or maybe other contrivances that are coming out. And, uh, he's just sitting in this, uh, office, uh, taking meetings and calls. Mm -hmm. And then he goes home and sits in his hot tub and that's full of money, I it assume. Counts his money, exactly, and, yeah. Yeah, so it, it's he's been promoted to a job where he, I don't think he actually has to do anything. Except that he, if he is indeed making those kind of decisions, he is directing the ship. Like, if a, if yeah. a writing team comes to him and says, here's an outline for season 10, this is what we're doing, he can approve that or he can shit can the whole thing and say nope start over that doesn't that doesn't mean that he's 
doing anything in my book. Well, he's, he's okay. He's not, I mean, he's, see, he's my problem something. is I go to meetings and then I do stuff. Yeah. Right. And the fact that the, the, I don't consider the meetings actually doing anything. Right. And so the, all, if all he's doing is meetings, is he doing anything? Well, he, come on. He is, he's like, when you go to meetings, you're directing people, you're giving uh, support and, and delegating tasks and things like that. And that's, that's what he's doing. He may not be actually coming up with the storylines, but I think that's an okay thing. I think that's maybe right. even a good thing at this point. Let him, let other people come up with the stories, write the episodes, do all that kind of stuff. They can go to him and now it's on them to convince him that what they've written is a good idea, but he still has the final say, which is a little worrying potentially. Yeah. I so would not want that job. I'd prefer to do something for a living. Yeah. Fair enough. Fair <laughs> enough. Uh, but anyways, he has a lot to oversee now because he's got both shows, any future shows and maybe more. So. Yeah. Video games. Is he in charge of, what, what was the title again? It was, uh, in charge of, uh, well, Hollywood Reporter says that he will oversee the Walking Dead's vast TV universe, including both the flagship show and spinoff, as well as gaming and future brand extensions on a variety of platforms. Uh, so, so gaming. So he's going to be in charge of games, everything. I, I guess. I mean, I can't see him being in charge of that many things, but that's what it sounds like is happening. So much like Ron Burgundy, he's the balls. He, he pretty much is. He's yeah. Robert Kirkman's balls. <laughs> <laughs> He's the balls. Right. Okay. Go watch Anchorman if you think that I'm making some kind of weird reference. It is a weird reference, but at least it's... Uh, from Anchorman. a funny, from a funny movie. Yeah. Funny movie, yeah. Very funny movie. So let's talk about who the new showrunner is going to be for The Walking Dead. I got, I have three guesses and I won't guess Vince Gilligan again because I already know that one. Sure. Is it the guy that did uh, Sons of Anarchy? It is not him. Okay. Uh, I can't think of anybody else. Go ahead. Well, you're not even on the right track because it's a woman. Oh. It's Angela Kang. Now she has <gasps> been, right. she's been with the show since season two. She was a writer and a story editor. She became a producer in season three and she has written a huge bunch of episodes over the years. So they've promoted her from writer and producer to showrunner. So oh, just good for her. The promoting from within, that's really nice to, really nice to hear. I think so too. They, they didn't bring someone who has never had, who's had nothing to do with the show until now. They brought someone who's been there almost all along since the beginning, who really knows it, who's had a, a enormous input on the writing through, you know, throughout since season two, which is great. And just to give you an idea of some of the things, some of the episodes she's written, I got a few here that I thought were big. Uh, season eight, episode five, The Big Scary You. That was the Negan episode that we both liked from the first oh. half of season eight. She wrote Rock in the Road, season seven, episode nine. That was the mid-season premiere, uh, mid-season, yeah, premiere of uh, season seven. She wrote Coda, which was season five, episode eight. That was, of course, the mid-season finale. And do you remember what happened in that one? It's something to do with... Uh... Um, no, Beth, Beth's death. All right. Beth's death. <laughs> that's hard to say. Uh, that's the one where Beth was killed. Uh, she wrote a, which was season four, episode 16, the season finale at yep. Terminus. Mm -hmm. And she wrote judge, jury and executioner season two, episode 11, 
Remember who died in that one? Season, season two. Yeah. Episode 11. Yeah. That would be uh, Dale. Dale's death. Correct. Yep. Um, and then I got an email here from Christian in Spokane. Uh, Christian writes, I will join the chorus and say that Angela Kang is a great choice for showrunner and that her promotion is good for gender equality. However, it is possible that a lot of folks will stop at Mrs. Kang's gender and forget to mention that she has written many of The Walking Dead's great moments, including many shocking deaths. Now, Christian lists a bunch there, but I sort of already did that, so I'm going to skip to the last paragraph, and uh, that is, of special note is The Same Boat, Season 6, Episode 13, one of my all-time favorite episodes. That is the episode where Carol struggles to slaughter her captors, after she and Maggie are taken into one of the Savior Outposts. That episode had me on the edge of my seat. I felt that both heroes and villains had real stakes and that nobody was safe. That's the show I love to watch. That's the one with that lady from Law & Order that I really hate. I know, I know. You can't stand that actress. But other than that, that was a great episode. And it, it featured all the women on the show prominently and, and really good. So there is a lot there is a lot of good that has come out of the computer of Angela Kang. And I think making her showrunner is a fantastic friggin' idea. It is a really good idea. And you know what's been rattling around in my head since you said that she wrote the episode A nope. at the, in Terminus? What's that? Has she written all of the episodes where the A appears? Well, I don't know for sure, but you're right. We've had A's on buildings, on train cars, on... Uh, clothing, all kinds of stuff. Maybe that's her thing. Maybe that's the tie, the factor that ties together everything. It's Angela. Could be. Could be. A is for Angela. Hmm. <laughs> A is for Angela. Wow. We'll see. We'll see where that goes. Uh, but anyways, I think it's a great idea. I am looking forward to it. She doesn't officially take over until season nine. Uh, right. So Gimple will ride out the rest of season eight and then she takes over. So people are going to be super nice to her for the rest of this season. That's for sure. You got to think so. Yeah. Hey, congratulations on that job. It's going to be fantastic working together. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. 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 <laughs> You're our right? new boss. <laughs> so, well, it's good. I think it's, I think it's great. And frankly, I, I know I'm, I, I'm just going to throw this out there, but I'm sure, and I don't have any statistics on this, but I'm sure the ratio of men to women as showrunners in the television industry skews heavily towards the male side. Oh God. Yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, any, any position of power in the entertainment industry skews heavily towards the male side. So this is good. I, and I, it, it's sad if anybody believes that, or that, uh, uh, people's opinions would stop at gender. That would be, that would make me sad. I mean, that's ridiculous. Yeah. That's what Christian said in, uh, in his email, but, um, yeah, I hope, I hope nobody does none, that. None of our listeners would, would feel that way. No, I, I wouldn't think so. I mean, if you are going to, if you're going to judge this or, you know, discount this promotion because Angela's a woman, then I disagree with you. And I think you might be an a-hole. Yeah. Angela <laughs> a-hole. A is for a-hole. A is for this, a-hole. Uh, you know, sadly, this podcast skews heavily towards male. I mean, your wife was on the show for a little while while I was... Uh, with Jasper when he was first born. Yep. Uh, but, uh, you know, that's not because we're sexist. It's just because, you know, I started the podcast and we're only just these two guys talking on the internet. Yeah. It's, it, and it's because oh, you're. shit. I was thinking that may, we may have been in a position of power. That's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. There's also. We don't that. hold any power. <laughs> not even a little bit. Yeah. 
anyways, congratulations to Angela Kang. I am looking forward to seeing what she can bring to the show. And uh, I hope it's amazing. I'm more excited about this promotion than I was about Scott Gimple. Yeah, me too. Frankly, me too. Yeah. So good, good for her. Good for her. Well, let's get back to Scott a little bit or just some more general comments from uh, various sources. So Entertainment Weekly, from an article they wrote, uh, they said this, this is an enormously important day for the entire Walking Dead television series, said AMC president Charlie Collier in a statement. We are proud to acknowledge Angela's significant contribution to the series and to set a clear path forward for a ninth season under her direction. Further, with gratitude and admiration, we also recognize Scott's broad impact on and leadership of the content that fuels our TWD universe. Together, we will dream bigger and more broadly than ever before. I know I speak for Angela, Scott, and everyone at AMC when I say thanks uh, most of all to the fans and the many talented people who have helped AMC play dead. <laughs> I don't I don't like that <laughs> pun at the end there, but that's kind of a congratulatory statement to everybody involved. Yeah. So, it's all well, right. It's nice that he knows that he can speak for people. I wonder if he got the permission. <clears throat> oh, I'm sure he did. I'm sure there's yeah. a contract signed somewhere that says, I can put words in your mouth whenever I want. AMC, Angela Kang, Gail Ann Hurd. <laughs> this is all coming together. It's all coming together. The letter A plays an important role in all of Very this. important role. Scott Gimple had this to say, The Walking Dead is a special show which started in an entirely different era of TV and continues in this new era to confidently take chances to tell compelling stories that excite audiences and make them deeply connect with its characters, adapting Robert Kirkman's brilliant comic book. As the show closes in on its 10th year, I'm honored to keep working with the talented, dedicated people behind and in front of the camera to make it all it can be while expanding the world of The Walking Dead with new narratives like Fear the Walking Dead and a whole host of truly cool stories ahead. Angela is a big part of the heart and soul of The Walking Dead, and I'm thrilled to help facilitate her vision of the show's next era. Mm. So see, he's going to be doing something. He's going to be facilitating things. That's a job. That's not a thing. I mean, that's <laughs> that's like, uh, I don't know, that's like using the word synergy in a sentence. Right. He's going to have synergy with everybody and while well, he facilitates stuff. And I'm going to liaise between different groups of people to make sure that they all have synergy. Wait, liaise is a real word. Synergy. Oh, it isn't. So is synergy. Yeah, but. It's just, it's just buzzwords for bullshit, bullshit, bullshit in my mind. All right. Well, Angela Kang wrote, I am beyond thrilled to be stepping into this new role with The Walking Dead. Working on this series and having the opportunity to adapt Robert Kirkman's amazing comic has been a fangirl dream come true for me. I'm excited to continue working with Scott and the wonderfully supportive folks at AMC and can't wait to share the next chapter of the story with our fans next fall. See, now that's writing. Yeah. Well, there you go. Those were all good words. I knew all of them. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> That was well-crafted. That was, that's, that flowed. That, that was really nice. It was shorter than everybody else's statement too, which. Also good. It's good. And it didn't, uh, it didn't, uh, it didn't have any uh, legalese in there. Nope. She just says no she's responsible a, for and uh, adequate to, and therefore the party of the first part did fantastic on their blah, 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 blah. It's just, see, I'm not a writer. Uh, Angela Kang, she's a writer. She, that was nice. She is a writer. She knows what she's doing. That's a good thing. 
Well, uh, the only other thing I wanted to point out is that all this is happening amid, amidst, amidst uh, some of the lowest ratings the show has ever had. I have no idea if that had any influence on these decisions or if this decision was made before season eight even started. I have no idea. Um, and also, I realized that there's at least two ongoing lawsuits, remember, between AMC, uh, the first one between AMC and Frank Darabont. And the yep. second one, if you recall, there's a lawsuit between Kirkman, Gale and Heard, David Alpert and AMC. So yep. most of the producers, except for Scott Gimple, uh, are who got promoted, who got promoted. Maybe he got promoted so he could join the lawsuit <laughs> well, or to prevent him from joining the lawsuit. Well, I feel like he's the only one who wasn't part of the lawsuit because he was the showrunner, maybe, and that was some sort of conflict of interest. Although you'd think it would be a conflict to have those other people suing AMC as well. But yeah. anyways, it's a big change to be happening, you know, while all this other stuff is ongoing too. Um, but bottom line for me is that Angela is one of the best writers the show has ever had, and I think she's one of the perfect person to, to take this job. Absolutely. I'm excited. I'm excited for the future. Me too. For the first time in a while. <laughs> well, that's good. That's very for good. For this show. <laughs> All right. Well, let's move on to the next thing here. And it has to do with Carl's death. Now, Robert Kirkman has made some comments on Carl's death. So he's, you know, he's gone on record as lying for, about various things. Well, let me read this to you and, and you can tell me what you think. He said, I know that some fans online have been very upset but that's by design. We're not supposed to be happy when these characters die. We are supposed to be worried about what comes next and anticipating what comes next and stressing about what comes next. That just shows that you're engaged and you're interested. Our job is to now pay that off and fulfill that interest and prove that this was a decision worth making. That's what we've got to do. So he didn't. S okay. So I agree with the statement that, uh, you know, we're, our job is not to make everybody happy all the time. We want to cause, uh, some drama. Yes. Right. It's we a dramatic some drama. television show. It, it's going to pay off in the end. As long as they don't just jerk us around and say, Carl's been bitten and there's no way he can get out of it because it's in the middle of his torso that he's been bitten. It's not like he can cut his torso off. So therefore he's got to die. And then they come up with some half-assed stupid way to make him live. Yeah. Well, people just don't treat us like idiots. That's all I ask. Sure. I, I hundred percent agree with that. I mean, people have been coming up with ways that Carl could survive this, or even if he doesn't survive, somehow continue the character on the, on the show, people have been coming up with ideas on how this can happen for, you know, since the moment that bite was revealed on his stomach. Uh, but I agree with you. I just don't want them to screw us around and, and, and come up with something dumb that doesn't fit within the universe of the show. Yeah. Now, Kirkman also said this, uh, he said, I think Scott first brought it up to me as a possibility, probably about a year ago at this point. At first, I was kind of like, well, that's a big one, you know. I might have had a little bit of trepidation, but once he laid out to me exactly what his long-term plans were and the things that come out of it and the things that it leads to, it was something I got on board with. So Scott Gimple had long-term plans. He mm -hmm. went to Kirkman and said, look, I want to kill Carl, but here's why. Here's what it's going to lead to, and this is what's going to happen. 
So what do you think? Kirkman agreed. And then halfway through season eight, Scott Gimple's out. So the, he didn't, nowhere in that sentence said, kill Carl. Well, he was talking about killing Carl. He was, ref- see, that's the, I know that, but I just, they're, they're just kind of jumping around. And I just, I, I, I am worried that, uh, you know, the plan that everybody agrees to and thinks is fantastic and that we should all trust in is not going to be Carl's death. It's going to be Carl's living for some unknown, stupid reason. Yeah, I, I, I don't think so. I still think that Carl is a hundred percent dead. I just don't think they can keep him alive at this point. I, I do believe that his death isn't going to play out exactly how we think, right? He's not just going to die in that sewer and they're going to bury him down there and that'll be that. There's going to be something that happens before he's, you know, actually 100% dead. Um, but I do think that will happen at some point very soon into the second half of season eight. Uh, but this quote I just thought was interesting because Kirkman is claiming that he agrees with this decision, even though this is Carl, this is his character. And you know what? Comic, mild comic spoilers, people, Carl is still alive in the comic and the comic is way ahead of the show. Um, so it's a big, big change. And I, a little part of me can't help but think that Kirkman was like, okay, Scott Gimple, we're going to do this, but secretly that means you're out of a job. (laughs) So, uh, you know, get this out of your system. Hope, I hope this makes you feel good, but we're going to replace you after season eight. Okay. So three things. No, I don't think that I don't agree with you there because the fact that Robert Kirkman, uh, agreed with Scott Gimple and that uh, he eventually thought that this was a good idea, might have led to this promotion where now Scott Gimple is in charge of making these kinds of decisions. Yes, no, yes, no, yes, no. And then if he agrees to something, uh, Robert Kirkman has the trust that Scott Gimple knows what he's doing because he's proven himself to Robert Kirkman. So you're saying it's the opposite. that I'm saying it's the absolute opposite. That Kirkman has so much faith in Gimple that he's, he's agreed to this and he said, fine, Gimple, you take over the whole universe I created. Wow. That's a really good idea. I trust you. You know, I'm putting you in charge of the whole universe. All of the, but the thing is all the public information we have, like ratings decline, people quitting the show, uh, just so many fewer people watching it and being frustrated with the, the anti-realism on the show. You know, we hear all about the guns and all the crazy decisions that the characters make and so on. All the public information we have seems to indicate that people generally are super unhappy with what Gimple's been doing. Yet that might be Kirkman's fault. Yeah, but you know, if Kirkman was in charge of all of the decisions uh, uh, before, like as an executive producer, he everybody went to him and said, "You know, you're in charge of the universe. Can we do this? Can we do that? Can we do this?" Like, yeah, that's kind of lying to the people. So I'm all for it, and just he was making the decisions, and it got to the point where you know what. Maybe that guy should be making the decisions and not me. So huh. I'm going to, it's, it's, it's like Lucas, uh, not being in charge of Star Wars. Uh, he has a very you know, big say in it and it was very important for him to be involved, but you let him be in charge of every decision, you get Jar Jar Binks. Right. George Lucas, while well, he sold off Lucasfilm to Disney and that was the best thing that ever happened to Star Wars. Oh my God. Make that man go sit in a friggin' throne made of pure... 
uh, lightsabers, like a big lightsaber throne that he doesn't die in because he's so powerful in the force. Just put him someplace where he can't do any harm and give him lots of money. That's fine. Sure. Just don't let him make any decisions on any kind of movies. This new job that Gimple is in, I, I mean, wasn't an official position before this, as far as we know, right? So Kirkman may have been filling that role yeah. and somebody realized this is not the right job for Robert Kirkman. He's a great writer. He runs- I think Kirkman realized that. Maybe, yeah. He runs the comic really well, but- Yeah, every decision I make in this TV show seems to really blow up in our faces. So maybe the only decision I can make is to not make any more decisions. And give it to Gimple. I can give advice. I can offer- you know, support, but I'm not making any decisions anymore because obviously I suck at TV. You know, <laughs> you know what? There's the other thing too here. And, uh, Kirkman has had, he had an agreement with AMC, right? For ad adaptation of his properties, which he is not, uh, re-entering into, right? If you're, if you recall, he has signed an agreement with Amazon studios for all future first looks at the, the stuff he's created. So, I wonder if that plays a part too. You know, Kirkman was kind of unofficially doing this overseeing job, but then he, in a kind of a nice way, said, F you, AMC, I'm going to Amazon. And AMC thought, well, we don't want him overseeing our stuff if he's not even working for us anymore. So I wonder, there's got to be some, there's got to be some influence from all different, all the different sides here, I think. Yeah. I think what's happening right now you know when you go and buy a box of Tic Tacs? Yes, I've... Have you purchased Tic Tacs? I have, yeah. You know they're all kind of messed up and they're just kind of jumbled together? Sure. <laughs> yeah, when you shake them up and if you shake them just the right way, all the Tic Tacs line up. That's everything a... just becomes this perfect little lattice uh, where you don't want to mess with anything. I think we've had a box of Tic Tacs for a very long time. And now we've gotten to the point where things have been shaken up enough that we've got this, what could possibly be the perfect lattice of structure for this series of shows. So no more Kirkman, really. Scott yeah. Gimple overseeing everything. And Angela Kang show running uh, the main show. And then new guys show running Fear as well forget their right. names right now yeah interesting is that so really a thing things up is that really a thing with tic tac boxes you shake it and they all line up i don't know They've, i've seen pictures of lined up tic tacs as tic tacs i assume it's some kind of effort involved in doing that uh -huh. but i don't think it's a matter of putting a needle inside the thing i think it's kind of shaking it's like a those puzzle games where you try and get the little ball bearings to go through the maze yeah i know those okay well all right so our our tic tac box of a walking dead tv universe is all falling into place Maybe. So I got two other things I wanted to say about this. All right. So there was three things I wanted to say. That was one of them. Okay. Uh, the second one, oh, I'm going to forget. My brain is just, just like a mush mouth. Uh, that's a reference from, uh, yeah, forget it. Uh, the second thing I wanted to say is that uh, I value almost above everything else in a movie and television show internal consistency. I want the rules to make sense at the end of a movie as they were at the beginning. Don't fuck with the internal logic of what premise you've set. And if they save Carl, the only way in my mind to do that is to fuck with the rules. Change, the, change what's happening in the show. Change the logic that they've defined for eight years. Yep. And I just, that just scares the shit out of me that they're going to do that. I know, I know. 
Uh, so just don't do that. Okay, fair enough. Don't and the do last that. thing is, uh, I don't want to feel toyed with. Right. It's the same thing about how I vision my own death. I know that I'm going to die. I am perfectly aware that at some point my life is going to end. The only requirement I have is at the end, I don't want to feel stupid about it. Right. Like you, you don't die while you're sitting on the can. I just don't want to feel stupid. I don't know what that is. I just, I don't want to be like, ah, shit, you did that. And now you're going to die. You dumb piece of crap. I just don't want to feel, you know, hit by a truck. That's not my fault. That's fine. I don't feel stupid. There's nothing I could have done about that, but I just don't want to feel stupid about it. You don't want to like walk, walk down the street, trip over a crack in the sidewalk and hit your head on a park bench and you're dead. Yeah, and then my neck's broken and I'm lying there going bleeding out or whatever reason. I'm like, man, I should have tied my shoes. Why didn't I tie my shoes? <laughs> it's what they're it's what the laces are for. And I didn't yeah. tie them. <laughs> yeah. So that's it. All right. Fair enough. Well, let's move on to the next thing here. Uh lowered ratings, as we've talked about, the the show has lower ratings than it has in a long time. David Alpert, he made some comments regarding the ratings decline. He said I think overall we're seeing increased competition, not just from television and not just from streaming services, but you get content everywhere. The idea that people watch things super live that need to view on the same night and we're measuring ratings like a live rating, I feel like it's a little bit anachronistic to be like, oh, you're not holding the same ratings that you were. So he's just saying that there's a lot for people to do and they're people's viewing habits have changed, but our rating measurement systems have not. And that's We've why we're- said this like a month ago. Yeah, that's why that he's- They're way out of date. I don't, I watch the content in such a way that their rating systems don't account for. Like, do their rate, the rating systems don't account for iTunes, I assume. Well, traditional rating systems don't, but they do factor in all those things now. They factor in the uh, the recorded- like TiVo type recording stuff, you know, yeah. um, because Five they have seven, whatever yeah, it is. Exactly. Exactly. But they haven't caught up to the way I watch it. And I'm sure there's lots of people watching on iTunes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then all I'm saying is that the entire picture, the producers and the, uh, AMC might all be aware of, but when they publish ratings, that shit doesn't account for that. And the media is jumping all over it saying, oh, the ratings are down. It's like, well, that doesn't mean the number of eyeballs watching the show is down. That just means the traditional way of eyeballs watching the show is down. But those traditional ways are really hurting overall. Yeah. And Alpert is basically saying, I mean, he's claiming anyways, you know, we're not worried about it. People watch shows differently and that number isn't as meaningful as you seem to think it is. Well, thank God. Thank God that at least somebody is uh, aware uh, that the rating, traditional rating systems aren't the end-all be-all. Like if they were going to cancel the show because of traditional rating systems when they have all this other shit, they're going to feel stupid in five years. Like, man, people were watching this show. Why the hell did we cancel? We paid attention to this goddamn number over here. Now this number is zero. <laughs> yeah. It used to be still 8 million people. Now it's nobody. Yeah, yeah, this number is nobody, but we still have 27 million people watching the show. It's just that they don't watch it this way anymore. Right. And we're stupid for canceling the show because we thought this was the only way of counting. All right. So we shouldn't be that concerned. We should just figure lots of people are watching it. It's still the highest rated show on TV if you look at those numbers. And uh, they shouldn't publish those numbers. They should publish those numbers plus all the other numbers. Like, give us more information. 
yeah, give us more information. And I guess, I guess that might be out there, but you know, I go look for ratings numbers the, (laughs) the week of that it airs, right. Or even the night after if I can find it. So anyways, just thought I'd throw that out there that, uh, the producers aren't worried. So why should we be? This is all good news. This is a good night for news. This is all, this all make me feeling good. All right. Well, making me feel good, not make me feeling good. This all make me feeling good. (laughs) I don't know, man. It might be making you feeling good. (laughs) All right. Yeah. So let's talk about Fear the Walking Dead a little bit. They announced the season four premiere date for that as well. October. Nope. No. August. Nope. (laughs) July 12th. April. April 15th. April 15th. Yeah. Oh man, I got to. Anyway. What we're going to do. Trip that weekend. You Oh. Well, we'll they just to... sent out an email today saying, hey, you're going to somewhere in April. Is it Tennessee? No, it's, uh, it's uh, Colorado, I think. Ooh, exciting. Listeners in Colorado, Jason's coming to visit. If you see him, say hi. Yeah. Well. well at the airport. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they might be there. Who knows? Uh, Sunday, April 15th at 10 p.m. The oh. uh, Fear Season 4 will premiere. So what that means to me is that might nudity be the and swearing? That might be the same night. Well, hopefully some nudity and swearing. 10 p.m. Oh, that yeah. might be the same night that season eight of Walking Dead might end. They're going to do season finale with Fear premiering right after it. Now we could figure smart. we could figure that out um, because we do know the date that um, the main show starts up again, and that is February 25th, and that's episode eight nine. 10, uh, 11, 12, 13, 14, <laughs> 15, 16. No, 16 would be on the 22nd of April then. So what the hell are they doing? Well, you're missing the fact that they might do double episodes. Yeah. They've never done a double. Well, They've done extended. PM? 8, 9, 10? I don't know. Is my math? If they do a double, uh, a double wide, uh, Season premiere of The Walking Dead with a premiere of Fear the Walking Dead. Might be a Walking Dead extravaganza that evening. Yeah, but if... I'll be out of town for. Well, I don't think it works. I don't think it works out because if my, if my math is correct, we're going to have episode nine of the main show on the 25th. So that's... Oh, no, it does work out. So nine on the 25th. We got uh, 10 on the 4th of um march and then we got uh the 11th i don't want to work this all out but uh, i think it does work i'm falling asleep here 11 sorry (laughs) 16 yeah it does so it's the same night it'll be season finale night for uh walking dead and season premiere night for fear the walking dead 10 p.m and then of course following weeks it'll be on at nine so that's what they're doing they're overlapping we're gonna how the hell are we gonna handle that now, you being away aside, know. we got to write them a letter and say, hey, you know what? We got a podcast to do here. Do you mind splitting that up by at least a week? Like, fuck, like spread it out. I mean, we don't need to stack everything up on top of each other. You know, yeah. we're going to be we're going to be podcasting about the season finale, which is a big deal. And then we're going to want to do feedback a few days later for it. We're also going to have to cover fear episode one somehow. Like, Jesus, people, AMC, you're screwing us here. We're going to have to. Open up a franchise. <laughs> Hire some other podcasters to do something. Help us out here. Jesus, if this was my like full-time job, great. Put the whole season on one night for all I care. But uh, this is tough. So anyways. That we'll appears, figure it out. 
It you and I are, uh, we're tough cookies. We can, uh, we can podcast till, uh, some of the cows come home. Not all of them, but some of them. Some of them. Right. That's right. Okay. Let's talk about some Fear the Walking Dead new characters now. So we've had a couple of new actors signed on. One of whom, of course, is Lenny James as Morgan, but we don't know what the details there are yet. Well, that's going to be the next show is Lenny James is going to get his own spinoff show. Yeah, probably. Probably. I don't know. We'll see. We'll it's to, a cop show. Shit, that'd be great. We'll have to figure that out. Well, uh, we have two um, known actors have been cast on Fear the Walking Dead. One of them is Maggie Grace. Do you remember Maggie Grace? Oh, I know the name. She's from. She was Shannon on Lost. Yes, that's right. Uh, I, that's where I knew the name. Yeah. You might also know her from Californication. She was on 10 episodes of that show and she's rather well known as Kim in the Taken series of movies, Liam Neeson's daughter. In the first one, she was the one who was Taken. Right. And afterwards she becomes a kick-ass, uh, Taken, Taker Backer, like her dad? <laughs> Taker Backer. I don't know. I never saw Taken 2 or 3. Me neither. <laughs> so I don't know. Um, but she is going to be playing a character named Alth- Althea or Althea. So according to Entertainment Weekly, Althea is someone who is uniquely qualified to survive, to thrive even in this world because of who she was before the apocalypse. When we meet her, we'll find she has, in many ways, picked up right where she left off before the world collapsed. She has a number of impressive weapons in her arsenal, including a curiosity and understanding of people that often gives her a tactical advantage. It's never something for nothing with Althea. She has a greater purpose that she is constantly working toward, one which Strand takes a particular interest in. special purpose. I think... Yeah, her special purpose. <laughs> I think that's that's a great description. Like, there's a lot in there, and it's piqued my interest. I think it's nunchucks. I think she's going to have a set of nunchucks that she's quite skilled in, and uh, that's going to be her special purpose. Maybe, maybe. That whole quote comes from co-showrunner Ian Goldberg, one yeah. of the new guys. So I'm curious to see that. Uh, and then the other one is Garrett Dillahunt is playing a character named John. Do you recognize Garrett, Garrett Dillahunt? I do not. Well, he's in a show you love. He was on Deadwood. He played a character, according to IMDb, he played Francis Wolcott slash Jake McCall. Oh yeah. Okay. I don't know what that means, but he was on Deadwood. He was in Terminator, the Sarah Connor Chronicles as John Henry. He was yeah. on Justified. He played Ty Walker. Yeah, no, I know the guy. He he's he's in everything. He was in, uh, yeah. He's he's a great actor. He's a great comedian, uh, comedic actor as well as dramatic actor. I think he should be in everything. Yeah, he he was in the Mindy Project too, which is a comedy. I, I've watched yep. a little bit of that show and I I kind of enjoy it, although I haven't watched too much. And then he was in plenty of movies as well. So Garrett, oh, yeah. Dillahunt has been around for a while. Yeah, no, he's definitely a that guy actor that I, I didn't recognize his name, but everything I see him in, he's great. Whether it's comedy, drama, anywhere in between, he's doing, he's, uh, he's a, a welcome addition to the show in my book. That, to me, that kind of means he's probably going to not last very long. He's here to do a bit of a cameo, a guest star for a few episodes, and then he's going to be out. I don't know. He's done long running TV shows before. Yeah. Sarah Chronic, Sarah Connor Chronicles. He was in it quite a bit. Yeah, but. And, uh. Let me confirm that this is the guy I'm thinking of. What's his name? Something Wilcott? Uh, in, I love his character in Deadwood. In Deadwood was Francis Wolcott. W-O-L-C-O-T. What's the actor's name? Garrett Dillahunt. Um, I just think if he's in that high demand and he's that much of a, you know, oh, good totally actor, 
then he's awesome. Yeah. I, I just feel like he's, he probably isn't going to stick around too long. Oh, uh, yeah. Raising hope. You ever watch that show? Nope. It's funny. Yeah. The, the thing about this guy is I, I know you can't believe it, but I've never watched Deadwood. I never watched Justified shows. I would like to watch someday, but there's just so much well, to Timothy do. Timothy Oliphant is in both, both of those shows and he's fantastic. Different characters and fantastic in both of them. You know what the last thing I watched with Timothy Oliphant is? Uh, uh, Santa what? Clarita Diet, that uh, zombie, <sighs> sort of zombie comedy from uh, Netflix. Yeah, I watched an episode and I couldn't, I couldn't stomach it. <laughs> well, we, we got two thirds of the way through the season and then never went back to it. But yeah. anyways, uh, I do like Timothy Oliphant and I have a feeling I'm going to like Garrett Dillahunt as John. Now, Entertainment Weekly described the character this way. John is a man of fascinating contradictions. He loves people, but has spent a great deal of time on his own. He's a gentle soul and innocent in many ways, but is no stranger to violence. He can be soft-spoken and disarmingly funny all at once. Yeah. So and he plays an awesome robot. So that reminds me of you a little bit, you know, gentle soul, innocent in many ways, but no stranger to violence. No stranger to violence. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I, uh, I can smash a peanut with the best of them. You sure can. So anyways, there's two new characters uh, for Fear the Walking Dead, in addition to Morgan, of course, who was going over to that show, and we're curious about how that is going to happen. All right, I still have more news items here, Jason, so let's get on to the next one. Uh, this is a really quick one, though. You remember Charlie Collier? He, uh, he had a quote about the whole Angela Kang thing earlier. Um, one of the other things he said, and this came out of CES, which was last week down in Las Vegas, Unless it's still going, it might be a multi-week thing. Anyways, he was there and he was asked about the end of The Walking Dead and he had this to say really quick. We talk about it all the time. We talk about whenever it ends that it's Smithsonian worthy. So to me, I was just excited to hear that they talk about the ending all the time and that when it does come to the end, they want to make it really, really good. Yeah, like uh, MASH. MASH, the uh, the whole swamp is in the uh, the Smithsonian. Oh yeah, swamp is. You ever watch Mash? Yeah, not too much of Hawkeye's it. Hawkeye's tent. It was known as the swamp. Oh, cool. Yeah, cool. They got the whole thing in there. They got Fonzie's jacket. Nice. I've always wanted to go to the Smithsonian. Like, I just want to. I want to go to Washington D.C. and spend a whole week just in the Smithsonian. Oh, totally. I would. Uh, I would love to do that. Air and Space Museum, television, mm-hmm. you know, natural sciences. Oh, that'd be awesome. My parents took us there. When we were kids, we were driving to Florida and we drove through Washington and stopped and went to the National Air and Space Museum. And so I remember seeing, you know, some of the NASA space capsules and stuff like that, which was really cool. cool. But I would love to go back now as an adult. I agree. Me too. Me too, me too, me too. And then uh, that giant, uh, the monolith thing that uh, they went up in Spider-Man. From 2001? What? (laughs) Not the monolith. The uh, Washington Monument. (laughs) The Washington Monument. (laughs) What? That's a monolith? I guess so. Yeah. It's It's obelisk. Obelisk. I get those confused. All right. It's an obelisk. Can you go up in it? I don't know. Can you actually go up in it? According to Spider-Man Homecoming, you can. I'm not sure if it... Well, yeah, but then according to X-Men, they went inside the Statue of Liberty and you can't do that anymore. That's not true. You can do that right now. You can go... They allow people to go into the Statue of Liberty again? It was closed for a number of years for renovation or something, but it's... I believe it's open again. All right. Now I want to go back to New York. Me too. That's one of, that's the only thing I haven't been up in New York. 
I've, not, I've been to New York twice and I've never seen the Statue of Liberty. Like not even from afar. Oh, that sucks. I've seen it from airplanes. I've seen it from the top of other buildings. I always come in from the north. I never see it from an airplane. Oh, no. I had a really fun experience in an airplane landing in New York once. We were landing in um, LaGuardia. Uh, but we circled over Manhattan a couple of times waiting nice. for a runway or something. So we were pretty low over Manhattan and I had a, it was a clear, bright day. I had an incredible view of like the whole city and then the Statue of Liberty and everything it was really amazing. Uh, but yes, I've been up the, the, uh, um, Empire State Building. I've been up 30 Rock, uh, never the Statue of Liberty though. I haven't. Those I've, those I have been both. Yeah. Both have been up with you actually. Well, you and I went up 30 Rock, right? We did. We went to, uh, uh, I, not the Eiffel Tower. What do you call that thing? You just said it. The Empire, Empire State, State Building. Building. Yeah. We did that, didn't we? I don't know. I went up there with Soph, my daughter, but maybe with you too. Anyways, it doesn't matter. Um, Statue of Liberty. I think it's open again. And um, I don't know how we got talking about that, but I was excited to hear that AMC talks about the ending of Walking Dead all the time. They probably talk about how they never want it to end, but... Maybe they're thinking about really cool ways to wrap it up. All good things must come to an end. They must. You remember John Bernaker? I do. He's the stunt man who was killed in an accident shooting season eight. His mother has spoken out about her son's death and is uh, hired legal counsel to, yep. uh, to sue the production, the production company. Um, before we get to that though, Stalwart Films is the show's production company. And they've been fined the maximum by the Occupational Safety and Health Association for, uh, for his death. And the actual description is for failing to protect employees from fall hazards. Now, they've been fined apparently the maximum amount that is allowable in a situation like this. And for someone who died doing what they do, filming the show, I feel like the maximum amount is a laughable amount of money because the you fine have a, you is have a figure there the fine is twelve thousand six hundred seventy five dollars come on for a human life for what well, yeah for a human life i mean you can't fine. even put a number on it but jesus 12 grand 12 grand twelve and a half thousand dollars so i don't know i don't know that's the maximum amount according to it they've been fined and you know they're paying amc or stalwart films will pay that out of their petty cash i'm sure yeah that's like finding a 20 dollar bill in your pocket Holy shit, I forgot about that. I mean, they spend... uh, You can wash money. Yeah, that's right. I'm sure they spend that much on, you know, nothing every episode they they create. Anyways, uh, John Bernicker's mother has hired lawyer Jeff R. Harris to, quote, seek justice for John and to ensure that no other parent with a child working in the film and television industry suffers this kind of heartbreak, end quote. It should be criminal. If if they're liable... uh, you know, for the maximum fine, they should have a criminal investigation going. Oh, probably. And maybe they or do. Even though this is civil. This is the, like, there's no criminal investigation, but definitely civil liability. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what she's suing based on, right? Um, she also, though, in addition to that, she went on to say that people are afraid to speak out about stunt performers' working conditions. So she's kind of swinging the door open here on... I think at least what she feels is um, a long history of injustice kind of within the stunt performing industry across the TV industry. Now, from the Deadline.com article I read about this, it's uh, they are quoted as saying, and this is uh, 
Jeff, John Berniker's mother, saying, I'm friends with 50 or 60 stunt people. They're like my adopted children, and I heard this all the time. Uh, and then when the Harvey Weinstein sex scandal broke, she says she was reminded of the stunt world's code of silence that she'd heard about so often. She said, quote, if you take out the word sex and put in safety, it's the same thing. This is parallel in my mind. There, there are the same pressures and the same risks. People are afraid to speak out because they're afraid they'll never work again or that they'll be looked down upon. So this is all super depressing. And, you know, I, I hope that this kind of thing isn't true because she's saying that safety standards are not very good and nobody's, yep. af- nobody, and everyone's afraid to say anything because they think they'll be fired or just won't get work. And that's not how things should work. Right. So the, the comparison is, uh, at first glance, kind of upsetting because, mm-hmm. you know, the, uh, the sexual misconduct that's going on seems to be, uh, front and center nowadays, let's say, but we're also talking about, uh, you know, we're not talking about sexual assault, but we're talking about, uh, life and death mm-hmm. still, right. Mm-hmm. We're, we're talking about people's, uh, uh, life and limb that are on the line. And if uh, they're afraid to speak out, uh, that should be changed because safety first people, it's just television. It's not worth people dying over. No, of course not. And if this isn't, if this is in fact as big a problem as she seems to indicate, I mean, I'm surprised there haven't been more serious accidents or deaths. Um, you know what? I'm not, uh, you know, I can understand the, uh, the mentality uh, I don't know why I can understand the mentality, but I can, at least the inklings of it, uh, of not wanting to say anything about not feeling safe about doing a stunt and doing it anyway. Oh, There's a lot of pressure there. I 100% agree with you there. What I was saying is that I'm surprised there haven't been more accidents, you know, because the safety standards aren't there and people are feeling compelled to do these unsafe stunts anyways, right? But, yeah. but I can understand the feeling to do it. I mean, it's your livelihood. You have to do the job. And if you say, no, I'm not doing that, you're probably not going to be working at least on that job for very, very much longer. Yeah. People are vindictive little shitheads. And if you say no to somebody and there's a, uh, there's a lot of pressure to get this done. If I own a production company or if I own a, a stunt company and I get hired to do a job and the job needs to be done on this schedule and my schedule gets fucked up because somebody wants to, uh, uh, chicken out on doing a stunt, just like suck it up and do it, man. It's your goddamn job. Right. You know, that's how it, people feel. And then they do suck it up and they do it because it's their goddamn job and they get hurt and they're like, oh, well, that's the nature of the business. Sorry. <laughs> well, you know, I can understand how that can be upsetting, uh, structure for reality and that should be changed. hundred percent. It should be changed. So if anything good at all comes out of this whole situation, maybe it will be opening our eyes to this sort of environment that these people are working in. So, um, and that's, uh, you know, and that's, that's, that's a good thing. And then one of the proven track records for that very thing is the, uh, the airline industry. When there's a, an airline incident that causes injury or even, uh, something that happens with an airline, they investigate the living shit out of that. And then they come up with a list of recommendations to say, well, you know what? We're going to invent technology and we're going to implement policies. So that kind of crap doesn't happen anymore. And they do it. And now flying the, there's so many planes that take off and land every day that, uh, it's incredibly safe to get on a plane. Yeah. I read 2017 was the safest year for commercial aviation ever with zero deaths. 
that's a that's a triumph. And I think that all industries should learn from that kind of mentality that it should be incredibly expensive, it should be incredibly safe, and they should have uh, a lot of fallbacks and uh, you know safety margins. Totally, hundred percent. And 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 I hope that you know it's too bad that this had to happen for for that sort of thing to be exposed, right? But hopefully that if any good can come of it, we'll start yeah. working towards that kind of the, that kind of industry. So, you know, every plane accident or not accident, but incident, uh, they learn from mm-hmm. and they take it and they use it to make the industry safer. Let's use this to help make the industry safer. hundred percent. And that is going to wrap up the walking dead news. Quite a bit of stuff in there. We are going to take a really quick break. And when we come back, we are going to talk about the resort. Stay with us. Welcome back to the program, everyone. It is time to talk about The Resort. Now, Jason, why do we want to review this movie? I don't know. It, uh, <laughs> it has to do with vacations, and we, you and I really need a vacation. Maybe that's what it is, yeah. I'll, I'll be honest with you. I was thinking about things to talk about on the podcast here. I didn't know there was going to be so much Walking Dead news this week, but that's okay. I mean, there's nothing wrong yeah. with doing that and this all at the same time. But I went looking through the list of, of stuff on Netflix and I came across the resort, which seemed like maybe kind of an interesting zombie movie. So I thought, you know what, let's check it out and talk about it on the show and hopefully it'll be really good. So from IMDb, here is the description of the resort. It, IMDb says, the resort, a safari park offers paying guests the opportunity to kill as many zombies as they please following an outbreak. 
So that's, we're going to spoil this, right? Like yeah. we're not going to talk about spoiler free. So the idea is that there was a zombie apocalypse and humans won. Mm-hmm. And uh, they basically uh, took all of the rest of the zombies and put them on this island. And now people can pay to go to the island and shoot zombies. Pretty much. Yeah. I, I believe the movie said that the zombie apocalypse wiped out about 2 billion people, but yeah. the other, I guess, five or so billion on, on earth fought back and d- eliminated the zombie threat. And as you said, they took them to an island and they sort of created a zombie Jurassic Park. It is a zombie Jurassic Park because they were in Jeeps. <laughs> and uh, they went out into the park and, uh, you know, if Jeff Goldblum was there, he would say, uh, death finds a way. <laughs> oh, I Get like it? that. Get that's, it? that's brilliant. That should have been the, that should have been the tagline for the movie, the resort yeah. death finds a way. Yeah. Perfect. That, that's a huge missed opportunity right there. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that's it. Yeah. And here we are, I think they said in the movie seven years later, and the resort is chugging along. People are going there. They're making money hand over fist because people love to come and shoot zombies in a safe environment. That they do. However, um, as you might imagine, shit goes wrong and the movie becomes a race against time, more or less, for while well, we follow one group of people who are visiting the resort to try and get off the island before it is wiped off the face of the map by um, drones. Yeah, a bunch of drones. Yeah. You should have just nuked the sucker from orbit. Well, I mean, that's sh- what you do, right? When you have an infestation of uh, a non-human uh, deadly species, you just nuke the site from orbit, man. Sure. And I mean, that would certainly solve the problem, I would think. Uh, but they have this, um, oh shoot, what was it called? The protocol? The, uh, oh, I don't Death know. clock? No, no, come on. I can't believe I can't remember it. Anyways, something goes wrong. The zombies get out and they have to shut that shit down. Uh, yeah, they have to. Yeah, they, it's their fail safe. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Um, and, and the movie is our characters trying to escape before that happens. They're given five or six hours and they have to get off the island. So, so it was a, so it's a combination of uh, The Walking Dead mm-hmm. and uh, Jurassic Park and... Um, Oh, Snake Pliskin, Escape from New York. Right. There you go. So given all that, and, uh, you know, those three good movies, two good movies and one good TV show, what did you think of the resort and the way they handled this scenario? Well, honestly, if I wasn't watching the movie to actually review it on this uh, podcast, and I watched the movie today, I probably would have forgotten about it by now. So that forgetful, eh? It just, it, it. Nothing in it grabbed me enough to try and remember it. And I kept having to move my eyeballs back to the screen going, damn it, pay attention. Because <laughs> it was just boring. Okay. Sorry. Um, is there anything you liked about it? Um, it was sort of like Jurassic Park. <laughs> but not enough like Jurassic Park. The only thing I liked about it is the, uh, the fact that if this happened in reality, that uh, we had a zombie outbreak and we corralled a bunch of zombies and uh, people were going to shoot them for sport. Mm-hmm. We'd have some kind of group that would protest against the uh, un- unlawful harming of God's creatures. Right. Even the undead are God's creatures. Sure. And we so have that. There's going to be a protest group that's involved and somebody would try and 
uh, you know, Greenpeace motherfucker would go in and try and <laughs> shut that shit down. <laughs> All right. Uh, and, and we have that. That's exactly what happens in this yeah, film. Yeah, that's the only thing that I found interesting is like, yeah, that'd probably happen. Okay. Well, I didn't think the movie was great, but I actually didn't think it was terrible either. I thought it was a, a passable kind of zombie action film. Um, the things I liked about it were, I thought the, the pacing was okay. Like it, it just moved along, right? They didn't waste any time. They introduce you to this island. The, the slowest part was just kind of at the beginning, the group of people arriving there and sort of being introduced to the island and what they're going to do. They have this big reception for everyone and stuff. And Fantasy Island. Yeah. That's I, the other thing. It was, it was like Fantasy Island. There you go. Fantasy Island. And, and all that stuff I felt like a little, took a little long to get going. But once the movie did, the last two thirds of the film, I thought were moderately entertaining and at least felt like we were moving along at a good clip here. And I was never, I was never bored, even though I wasn't really super engaged either. It was just sort of fine. So right. like, you know, that doesn't sound like a ringing endorsement, but you know, it, it's not terrible is what I'm trying to say. Right. So it's like a, a crocheted blanket. I mean, have you ever really cuddled up with a crocheted blanket? It's like all full of holes and stuff. It's like a doily. Yeah. yeah. It's a big, heavy blanket. That's like, it's sort of, it's okay. Like you can, you can, it's a blanket and everything, but it's full of holes. It's sort of warm, but it's not quite the cuddly thing you were looking for when you (laughs) wanted to curl up on the couch. So to me, it was just kind of a, a blanket that wasn't, you know, it was half a blanket. Sure. Just, but it was okay, but it wasn't horrible. (laughs) The resort. It's like half a blanket. Yeah, it's like a crocheted blanket. Sure. I have a Jenny crocheted a blanket. And it's really nice and it looks good on the couch, but cuddling up to it, your toes kind of get in the holes and stuff. And it's just, mm. it's it's just, there's something not quite there. It's just missing that, that one bit that you need. Yeah. The rest of the blanket. Right. Well, I know what you mean. Like this, that's sort of how I felt about like this movie. It was fine. And I mean, I, I don't regret watching it. It was, it had some entertaining bits. Um, but it it certainly was nothing special. The first thing that struck me once the group got into sort of the tour of the island. So the way they do it is they, they drive them out through, you know, different, different areas of the island and they camp and things like that. And it's all supposed to be very safe. And they take them through like those shooting galleries you see in cop movies sometimes or, or Westerns where, you know, you're the person's walking through and then. Uh, you, you targets pop out and you have to shoot the right targets and not the, you know, mothers holding babies targets and stuff like that. Right. So they do that with live zombies that are, that are strapped to boards and they pop them out and you can shoot them as you're going through. And my first thought there was like, man, this doesn't feel safe at all. Like (laughs) it's like, they're not even protected behind a fence or anything. I know the zombies are, are restricted, but it just feels like they're right there. So I didn't feel like the safety protocols in this island were very good to begin with. Well, it's not Jurassic Park. No, it's not, obviously, but it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be safe, have all kinds of uh, safety measures in place, but I didn't really feel like they did. Um, so I was a little concerned at that point for everyone thinking, boy, something's going to go wrong here. Um, and it, does, it turns out that what goes wrong is not that just a zombie gets off of its post. It's that the whole computer system goes down due to a virus that was introduced to it. 
Right, which is exactly exactly what Newman did in Jurassic Park. Yeah, he shut down the whole security system so that he could get some stuff, uh, some uh, genetic material mm-hmm. out to sell it, and then you know he got killed by a bunch of those spitter uh, spitter guys, and uh, yeah, he fucked everything up. So it's 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 not the animals that are really the problem. It's uh, as in every zombie movie, it's the humans. Right, They're it's stupid, the humans, and they do dumb things, and they endanger the lives of everybody else. Yeah, and uh, stop it. So we have a character here who who breaks into you know an office in the uh, I guess the central building of this island, and she's trying to download some files to collect evidence against this place to shut it down because she is a member of a. Uh, an undead rights organization that they've they've introduced into this film, which I thought was absolutely ridiculous, but... No, that was the best part of the movie. Well, I don't know if that was the best part of the movie, because I... Come on, if people are going someplace to shoot something, people are going to protest. There's going to be a rights organization for that whatever. If they're going out there to shoot paper targets, they're going to be like, you know how many trees you have to kill to make those paper targets? And mm-hmm. the paper targets, you're shooting at them with lead, man. That's not good. Yeah, I... I, the movie lost me when they introduced the idea of this organization. They called it Living Two. <laughs> um, <laughs> right. However, I was, I, the movie won me back a little bit by the end because of something else they introduced. And that is that there are a series of refugees in this film. Yeah. And there's another sort of refugee organization that's supposed to be humanitarian and helping these people. But it turns out that the island runs this organization too, and they are taking these refugees and turning them into zombies for use on the island because they're going to run out of zombies. That's smart because I was wondering how, you know, it's not sustainable. It's not a sustainable model if you keep bringing people in to kill uh, the the attractions, right? You got to keep making more zombies. So, uh, you know. But it's a horror to do that by moral means. Of course not. It's a horrifying thought though, to be taking these people who are fleeing some sort of, you know, war or persecution or something. And they're turning, they're killing them and turning them into zombies for their friggin' theme park. Uh, But I can't deny that once that was introduced as a twist in the film, I kind of was back on board. I'm like, Oh my God, that's crazy. But wow. So we do that with cows. Cows are like these, you know, nice animals or like living out in the field and, you know, cuddling up and scratching their necks and stuff. And then they walk into this building and they go, hey, Dave, what's that hammer for? Bonk. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, I guess, but cows aren't humans. <laughs> no, they're not. <laughs> and they produce a lot more gas than humans. Uh, that's it's true. not their farts, you know. It's, it's burps. It's not farts. It's burps that uh, are causing all the greenhouse problems from cows. Okay. Well, I'm. Did you know that? Well, I knew ca- uh, cow gas output was a problem. Yeah. I assumed it was flatulence. All right. Well, anyways, that's neither here nor there <laughs> right now. Um, <laughs> At least zombies don't breathe. No, that's true. At least they <laughs> don't breathe. They're not producing any kind of toxic emission other than, you know, stinky, rotty smell. Yeah. But that's normal. That's normal. For dead people. But pretty gross. So anyways, um, thematically, I think this movie asks three questions. One of them is, you know, are zombies still people and should we be killing them and not worrying about it? Uh, our main character, whose name is Melanie, 
she is kind of the central sort of question asker when it comes to that, because there's a scene where she's got one lined up in a scope, but she won't take the shot because she says the zombie looked at her, like looked up right at her and she doesn't feel right about killing them. And then later on, she's sitting uh, with another woman in the movie and one of them says, they're still us, you know? So, you know, they, they consider them still people. So it's asking that question. That's one of the themes. Can you kill these people or should you be killing these people? Because uh, sure they're zombies, but they're still people. Well, yes. Okay. So let me pose another question for you. Uh-huh. So the answers to your question, you, sorry, did you get your three philosophical questions out? Well, so I got, far the answer is no, no, and yes. I, think. I got two more uh, uh, themes. The second two are kind of related. And, and, and the third one is really sort of that whole refugee thing. I mean, you know, they're using refugees to turn into zombies. But related to that is the big corporations kind of profiteering off the the downtrodden, right? They are taking these people who are in a difficult situation and they're, I mean, turning them into zombies and making buttloads of money. So, you know, I think it's pretty obvious where the movie was trying to go with that, with the widening, you know, uh, widening wealth gap in the world and stuff like that. But uh, that's the three of them. So can we kill people? Should we kill, sorry, can we kill zombies if they're still people? Should we be killing them and making a profit off of it? And should we be turning people who have less than us into zombies for our entertainment? Uh, So the answer is no, no, no. Are they still people? No. Should we be shooting them? No. Should we take living people that are desperate and turn them into zombies in order to shoot them? No. No, I don't think so. Yeah. Uh, So let me ask you this. Sure. People who donate their bodies to science. Now, Let's let's assume that all of these refugees, uh, instead of uh, refugees, that these people uh, are altruistic and have donated their bodies to science. Mm-hmm. And when you do that, somebody has decided that for scientific purposes, we're going to turn you into a zombie, and then we're going to let people pay to shoot you. Mm-hmm. Is that morally okay? Yes. Okay. So I think okay. it is. Yeah. Even though it's not really science? Um, well, it has nothing to do with science at that point. It has to do with the, the uh, individual making that choice for themselves yeah. and dying of natural causes, let's just say, and their body being donated for another purpose. The, right. the nature of that purpose in that question to me is not important as long as the person makes the decision for themselves. Right. Okay, so people have donated their body to science, and they use those bodies for um, uh, teaching, right? For doctors and what have you, people that need to learn anatomy, they they use them for dissection. Right. That's all well and good. People have used cadavers for ballistic tests. Like, uh, we want to know what happened to JFK, you know, that bullet, that magic bullet that went through all kinds of things, including this guy's uh, wrist. And how is it a perfect bullet after it's gone through the the bones in the wrist? Yep. So they took some cadavers and they shot them in the wrist, mm-hmm. like a whole bunch of them, mm-hmm. just to see what would happen to the bullet. Yeah. So, uh, you know, that's sort of science, sort of not science. It's sort of, uh, it's discovery or just uh, ballistic testing. It's, it kind of is, is a gray area. And then there's the people that have donated their body to science and they end up in, I'm trying to remember the, the, 
this guy did this exhibit of all these bodies that he kind of plasticized them and extruded or ex- exploded them so that you could just see their circulatory system or you could just see the bones or you could just, uh, you know, here's the brain and or ha- a person cut completely in half and you could see all the different parts. That's all fascinating and stuff. But this guy did it and then took it on the road and put it out exhibits mm-hmm. that people paid money to see. So that was more entertainment than science. They yep. were not used for science. They were used for profit mm-hmm. and entertainment. That doesn't strike me as moral. I mean, if you told these people that's what was going to happen, yes. But if they've, you know, out of a sense of altruism, has donated their bodies to science and they end up in this exhibit where this guy's making a shit ton of money off of you, that doesn't strike me as right. Sure. Uh, I would tend to agree with that. Um, If the people specifically donated their bodies to that cause, uh, I'd be okay with it. I I think the the ballistics testing thing that you mentioned, I am fine with. I think there is enough scientific value in that. Because when you shoot someone in the wrist, uh, when you shoot a dead body in the wrist to find out what happens... All kinds of information can come out of that, right? You, you, you can, you can possibly treat future gunshot wounds because you know what effect the bullet has when it hits this particular bone or, or this part of the body, right? So you might save lives because you shot a cadaver in the, you know, chest. Um, okay. Uh, and then, and then straight donating to science, you donate to science, you do all kinds of research, you learn new things. And again, you might save lives in the future. The exhibit thing, even that, I mean, I understand your point. It's, it's questionable. Um, if it was a museum, like a natural history museum, that was just, you know, an exhibit, fine. But this guy did it for profit and he took it on the road to make money. That was, that's my biggest problem with it. I, I suppose. I mean, there's a certain amount of educational value in it, you know, bringing people to it. And, um, so they can learn about the human body, about the anatomy, you know, there's a certain amount of educational value there and education is important. Um, if the guy's making money like crazy, yeah, that makes it feel a little more questionable. If, if they're charging a, a fee to get in to just cover the cost of what they're doing and they're not really making a giant profit, I'm probably okay with it at that point. Right. Okay. Um, So the moral questions that this movie poses is, you know, is it okay to shoot these? Are are these still people? Well, the answer is probably no. Right. Either way. Right. They're, they're dead. Right. They're not the, they're not the person they were. They're now an undead creature that's walking the earth. Mm -hmm. Is it okay to shoot them? Well, it depends. I mean, if they were already dead, maybe. Yeah. But if they've said, okay. Uh, you know, I will donate my, I'm going to die. I'm, you know, I've got terminal, what have you. I'm going to die. Give me a shit boat boatload of money so I can give it to my family and I'll turn into a zombie for your goddamn exhibit <laughs> or not your exhibit, but for your, uh, your safari, your theme park. Yeah. Your theme park, what have you, then, you know, make it a, a financial gain so that everybody knows what's going on. And then. It's okay to shoot them. Yeah, I have no problem with that. The problem in this movie is that they're taking refugees under the guise of saving them 
transporting them to this island, murdering them, and turning them into zombies for a theme park profit. That's obviously well, wrong. Yeah, that's unambiguously bad. Sure. And my whole point here is just that this movie at least tries to take a stand uh, on a, and, and reflect some things that are going on in the real world right now with refugees from all over the world um, and, and certain countries and regions, different reactions to them, right? Yep. Countries all over the world have different approaches and reactions to Syrian refugees, which there are plenty of these days. Uh, and I think this movie is just at least trying to take a stand and say something in somewhat of an extreme way, but it makes its point. And I appreciated the film on that level um, for what it was trying to do, you know, whether you, so, yeah. whether you agree with the point it's trying to make or not, doesn't even really matter, but the no. movie does take a stand and it's trying to say something. So it probably makes it a little easier to digest if you do agree with it but not everyone's going to. So right. that's just the way people are. And the other thing you can learn from this movie is you cannot win a war with airstrikes alone. You have to follow it up with an invasion because if you don't follow up with an invasion, they will. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. You can't just bomb this shit out of something and expect it to all be okay afterwards. You got to go in and make sure. You got to make sure. Yeah, because they, they escape. They just like, let's send in a whole bunch of drones. And the drones just willy-nilly bomb the shit out of everything. And look where that got. Yeah. So that's, you're talking about the final scene of the film, yeah. which is this movie is bookended by news reports, basically. So the the beginning is news reports about the original outbreak and then sort of what happened. And then the end is a news report uh, and during the supposed live news report, uh, you see, I guess, a bunch of zombies coming out of the water onto a beach somewhere and attacking people. So sure, they bombed the whole island, but a whole bunch of them got away and made their way to the mainland. Yeah. So uh, the whole thing is back. Um, anyways, I have a few notes here just about it uh, before we wrap up here. Um, I thought the whole computer room was super like the control center computer room was super cliche and the computer systems looked ridiculous, which yeah, is, it's going to be three guys in a server room. Well, I mean, it's a thing with these movies, these giant screens with like ridiculous displays on them. Um, and then when it was going down, you know, when it was, when the virus was attacking it, it just looked like scrambled TV on the screens. It was kind of stupid. I've worked in computers for almost 20 years now. I've never been in a room like that. No, those rooms I don't think exist. <laughs> But, the whole thing will be run out of guys uh, in their basements uh, sitting in their underwear. Yeah, exactly. That's, Much like I'm doing right now. <laughs> that's right. That's how that's how giant computer systems are run and podcasts. And podcasts. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, then the system was down for like two minutes and zombies had already made their way into the control room and attacked everyone and killed everyone in there. Oh, yeah. I remember that. I'm like, oh, shit, the system's down. Oh, they got the DJ. The well, DJ's down. Yeah. But I mean, it was down for like two minutes and the zombies were already in there. It's like they had zombies waiting in the next room. Yeah. It's so like, okay, we got a perfect computer system. So we might as well have zombies spattered throughout the entire installation. Exactly. And if anything goes wrong, they'll be on top of us immediately. Right. It's, yeah. The default action for all of the locks will be to pop open. <laughs> That's right. So <laughs> stupid. Um, they had them right outside the door. Uh, let's see early on in the movie when they're at that 
reception welcoming everyone, like the creator of the resort comes out and is welcoming them. I thought that was a little bit stupid. No, that was Mr. Uh, Mr. Rourke. Well, that was, that was very uh, Ricardo Montalban coming to uh, greet his guests. I thought that was very Fantasy Island. And I, like I don't know, but she does that for every group that comes in. That seems. Yeah, Ricardo Montalban did that for every single person who set foot on Fantasy Island. Okay, well, fair enough. Or fine, I guess. Welcome I, to Fantasy Island. It was beautiful. If you're paying that much money, I assume it's expensive to go to the resort. So I guess you get FaceTime with the, with the creator. Um, it makes me sad about Hervé Villachez. Okay. Tattoo. Yeah. He, uh, he killed himself. Oh, that is sad. He was in a lot of pain because, uh, his, uh, his body wasn't growing at the same rate as his organs and stuff. So there was a lot of internal conflict. And so he was in a constant amount of pain in his later, later years. He ended up killing himself. Well, Anyways, it makes me sad, but that, let's move on. That's sad and unfortunate. Uh, they, there weren't too many like dumb stealth zombie attacks in this movie, which can be a problem, except for one that bothered me. There's a scene where they're, they're in a hall underground and suddenly out of nowhere, a zombie like falls through a hole in the ceiling and immediately like no hesitation pops right up and bites a guy in the neck. Like it just happened way too fast for me. Um, that zombie would have, they store the zombies in the resort, right? Like they have to have extras kicking around. So they have them locked up in the ceiling. Uh, so that, uh, you know, if they need them, they're there. Well, yeah, it just, he would have at least hit the ground and like flopped around for a minute before he stood right up. So we have a zombie in every hotel room, every hotel room. (laughs) Yeah. We don't tell you which closet though. So check them all before you go to bed. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, it's a feature. (laughs) What else? Um, there are a couple of really bad lines in the movie. Uh, the, the writing was questionable in some parts. Uh, somebody at one point said, every apocalypse deserves the af- deserved an after party. <laughs> I screwed it up. Every apocalypse deserves an after party. So the resort is the after party to the I apocalypse. I disagree. I don't know. Um, and then when the virus was infecting the computer system, the like, I don't know, it might have been like the, the lead engineer guy there says... If it's a virus skull fucking the system, then it's probably trying to reboot. <laughs> I thought that was ridiculous. Yeah. Because, <laughs> you know, I sit around at work and I say that kind of thing to my boss when something isn't working. Yeah, usually. You know, why not? <laughs> uh, and maybe that's uh, maybe it's, that's their technical term for what, what's happening. Skull maybe fuckery. They, you know, the developers uh, coined the term skull fucking for the specific OS and the, <laughs> the, the kind of uh, virus that was, was doing that. So much like a, uh, a DDoS attack, maybe that's, they've, uh, uh, sure. you know, started using a term, uh, for a specific type of attack and they all recognize what that term means. And that's not, you know, just a euphemism for, uh, you know, what it sounds like, which is not very nice. Yeah. Uh, but so when he said it, it was actually a, a technical jargon for that particular, uh, facility. Okay, fair enough. That's what I choose to. That's what I choose to believe. I guess so. I, you know, there have been times when I've made up words or or things like that to describe certain things. So maybe, but they didn't tell us that. And then the only other thing about this movie is it was a very beautiful island. I thought there was a few really picturesque, scenic vistas of this island, and I appreciated that. Oh, that's nice. So there you go. So the resort, I thought it was okay. Certainly watchable, but nothing special. And you, I'm going to forget that I ever saw it. Forget probably soon. He ever saw it. 
Okay. Well, there you go. I got two emails from people who, after I posted on Facebook that we're going to watch this, actually went and watched it. So thank nice. you, people. Um, Anna in Wales writes, just watched The Resort. What an awful film. <laughs> what was the point of the Doug Ray Scott bit at the end? How and why did he survive? Were they optimistic enough to set it up for a sequel? I wish I'd made a list of the order I thought the characters would get picked off at the start of the film because I think I would have been spot on. So predictable. How can you have a film where nearly everyone dies, but the zombies not feel at all scary or threatening? Weird. Yeah. So <laughs> there you go. Uh, we didn't even mention Doug Ray Scott, but he plays a character in this group of, of people on the island who's seems to be hardened and has experience and is really good with the weapons. And he's kind of the one leading them through a little bit. Uh, and at one point he pulls a Tyrese where he runs into a room full of zombies and you think he's sacrificing himself so other people can get away. But lo and behold, he shows up at the end again, all well and good. So yep. he's some kind of uh superhero. Good times. Yeah. And then the other email comes from longtime listener Matt in Lindenwald, New Jersey. Matt writes, I saw you post that you were going to watch and review this movie, so I figured I'd check it out and send in some feedback. Based on the description, I assumed, as most probably do, this was a zombie Jurassic Park. That's basically correct. And I wasn't disappointed. In fact, I was pleasantly surprised. Uh, Matt sent in his list of positives, uh, sort of neutral things and negatives, and I've chosen some here. He writes the positives, linear plot without a bunch of twists just for the sake of twists. The makeup and special effects generally looked pretty good. The characters were people you could root for. The D-bag group luckily wasn't in our main Jeep, and the overzealous kids were more believable once they said they were 16. Everyone else was basically a regular person, as most people should be. <laughs> yeah. And the kids he's referring to are a couple of uh, uh, British kids that are there in, in our group of people who are young and arrogant and cocky, and they're just there to really shoot some guns, and it doesn't go so well for them. Yeah, it really doesn't. Uh, Matt continues, the neutral, the acting. It wasn't particularly great, nor was it bad. Everyone did a perfectly cromulent job. <laughs> oh, excellent. <laughs> <laughs> Which made me laugh out loud when I read that earlier, because not yesterday were my wife and I talking about that Simpsons episode, trying to decide if embiggen, which is the other word that was invented for that <laughs> yeah. episode, was a real word or not. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> my, one of my favorite words the Simpsons made up is uh, when uh, Bart, it was a flash forward scene where Bart was a taste tester for uh, uh, some kind of soda pop and he uh, drank it and drank it and he turned into uh, a big monster and he said, he said, sweet. He said, oh, pleasing taste, some monsterism. <laughs> some monsterism. That's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, we were talking about that and then Matt throws in cromulent. I'm like, oh, amazing. And then finally, Matt writes the negatives, the ending. I forgot about the give this information to the news plot line. So I was really hoping everyone would die. Having Melanie suddenly be able to run through a dozen, through a few dozen zombies, then outrun everyone, including bombs slash napalm outside was a bit annoying. Archer living was nonsensical too. at least show us that he's either immune or was bit and will eventually turn on land. So there you yeah. go. We'll if never you, know. If you want to find out more about the ending, watch the movie. So that is it. Thank you uh, to Anna and Matt for watching along with us. And if we do this again, I'll continue to post stuff on Facebook so that uh, everyone else can give that a try too, if they want. Um, I like to 
you know, talk about a, a movie that's unrelated to The Walking Dead once in a while because it's sort of fun to pick something and see see how it goes. Yeah. All right. Uh, that was a great podcast, Jason. Lots of stuff to talk about this week. Uh, I think we'll be back in a couple of weeks with probably more Walking Dead news as we get closer to the mid-season premiere of season eight. Um, and we'll see what else we do in the meantime. Um, in, you know, otherwise, if you want to get in touch with us, you can visit talking dead podcast at Gmail. No, I can't. Why do I keep doing that? Visit the website, talking yep. <laughs> where you can find all our episodes. And just a reminder, they're all back in the RSS feed. So if you subscribe to that feed, you can go all the way back to episode number one. If you really want, that's a change I made a few weeks ago. I wouldn't recommend it, but. That's just me. Well, you know, some people have a different opinion. I, it's I, pretty rough back then. I, I guess so. You know, we were just winging it back then. <laughs> Unlike now. <laughs> Unlike now. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, anyways, that's the website. You can visit it and click on send voicemail at the top to record a message right in your computer browser that will get sent to us. And uh, if you want to send email, do so to talkingdeadpodcast at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter at Talking Dead or on the Facebook at facebook.com slash the Talking Dead. Uh, my post there about the Scott Gimple, Angela Kang change generated a fair bit of, of conversation. So uh, check that out if you want. And I'll keep trying to post news to keep everyone up to date if I can. Cool. All right. That's going to do it. Thank you so much for tuning in, everyone. Until next time, my name is Chris. My name is Jason. Thanks for listening. Bye. Ciao. <laughs> One of the two.